When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Factor. If you want to eat better this year and are looking for fast, healthy, restaurant-quality meals that are ready to eat and easy on your budget, Factor is the perfect solution. Sign and save right now by going to factormeals.com forward slash TV 50 and use code TV 50 to get 50% off your order. That's code TV 50 at factormeals.com forward slash TV 50 to get 50% off. Hi, this is Don Wells. Guess what we're listening to? TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, welcome to this week's edition of TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television. Though, welcome back, Barbara Feldon, in our second hour. Barbara Feldon, the actress known around the world as Agent 99 on Get Smart. Barbara Feldon, also an accomplished author, her latest book reveals for the very first time the story of her life with the man to whom she was married at the time she started filming Get Smart, a dashing European who opened Barbara up to a life of adventure, the kind of life she was looking for at the time, but who also turned out to be not quite the man that he presented himself to be. We'll talk about that and more when Barbara Feldon joins us in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us as they bring us this week in TV history. Tony's segment, as always, brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly performing live storytelling ensemble, storysalon.com, facebook.com forward slash Story Salon. You can listen to Tony's standalone podcast this week in TV history, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find Audio. This edition of This Week in TV History was originally recorded January 16, 2014, a day on which Tony, Donna, and I all happened to be in our studio in real time as we find out within hours of the passing of two TV icons, Russell Johnson and Dave Madden. Yeah, it, this is kind of surreal because... We were just setting up some TV history stuff. We're gonna, we were gonna meet with uh, Josh Mills, the son of Edie Adams, mm-hmm. and you know it always gets very sentimental when we talk about people like Edie Adams and Ernie Kovacs, people who are such icons. You know, icons. And and then uh, just uh, I was just double checking something on Facebook, and our friend Steve Cox posted that Russell Johnson had just died. Steve so. Cox, who collaborated with Russell Johnson on his memoir, which I think was published in the early 90s. The third, you were asking who was the third Donna, because these things always was come in threes. threes. Was, and if you give me a few minutes, I'll look up the name of the person. It was one of the original Munchkins. Yes. Uh, from the Wizard of Oz. This is a, I mean, we had a day like this, December 15th, when... Tom Laughlin, Joan Fontaine, and Peter O'Toole all, they, I don't know whether they all died within hours, but the announcements of their deaths all came within like a five or six hour period. But uh, but this is, this, at least in the world of yeah, television, this is... This is unreal yeah, and well, shocking in a way, because just by the time you're 
we were coming to grips with the one to hear the other, and it just, frankly, threw me kind of out of whack again. You know, for our generation, this is our childhood. We remember these shows, in some cases, when they were in first run, and definitely in syndication. So, you know, this is not only... If it's not, you know, prime time with the family, this is what we watched after school. You know, these people are just, the, you know, I think very important part of our upbringing. We grew up with these people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Ruth Robinson Duccini was the third. She was one of the original munchkins from The Wizard of Oz. That's the third. That did that. Mm, yeah. Certainly, the, uh, Wizard of Oz was something that most baby boobers grew up with on television yeah. every year. Want to talk about Dave Madden in just a second, but first we were talking about Russell Johnson, Russell Johnson. And prior to Gilligan, and it's hard to believe he had a career outside <laughs> of Gilligan, but uh, prior to Gilligan, he did a number of Twilight Zones, including one in which he played a man who went back into time to try to stop the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. A, a favorite of mine. One of my yeah. favorites as well. Back there. Back there, thank you. Uh, he also, he did a Western, I don't remember whether it was, it was called, I believe it was called Black Saddle, and I don't remember yeah. whether it was for CBS or for first-run syndication, but... Um, yeah, he was on from 1959 to 1960. He had a real role as Marshall Gibbs Scott. Yes, okay, so, uh, and um, he I, he did a number of the Jack Webb shows, I think, in the early 70s. I know he did, uh, he did one of the O'Hara U.S. Treasuries with David Jansen, and uh, Donna, we were talking amongst each other. We both remember him playing a lawyer on some drama show. For some reason, I'm thinking that was a Quinn Martin show because I yeah. think he, I think he got into the Quinn Martin circle at one point. And didn't he do episodes? Well, okay, Quinn Martin, so it would have been the FBI, probably. And didn't he? Uh, wasn't there at least one Ironside episode, if I'm remembering correctly? I'm. He did. Uh, well, I have a little list here: uh, okay. Death Valley Days, Lassie, Ironside, okay. the FBI, Gunsmoke. Okay. Yeah. So these uh, are post Gilligan uh, shows. Post Gilligan shows, but during that stretch where it sounds like he did a lot of CBS shows as well as episodics, because Gilligan would have still been, you know, in the public conscious, and, and and as is the case, particularly in the '60s and '70s, if you finished doing one series, you did a lot of episodic work the first couple of years because you were still on the map. You're still on yeah. the map. Yeah. Right. And uh, even up until recently, we would hear him on radio doing voiceovers, most of the time as himself mm -hmm. or as some interpretation of, of the professor. But after Rescue from Gilligan's Island 1978, that it seemed everything he did was, was the professor yeah, or a variation of the professor. And I, I think he always, you know, because you could look at Tina Louise, who really wanted to push away Gilligan. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, he owned it. I think uh, Russell Johns, you know, he knew that that's how people were going to see him. And I guess he was also grateful that he was a, a good guy and a smart guy. Yes. <laughs> which And a very <laughs> handsome guy. Yeah. Right. He was the best looking man on Gilligan's Island. That's, that's, that's true. And, and even though he was known mostly for dramas... Uh, and, and Westerns, he did, he did the comedy on that show very well, even though yes. he was basically the straight man. Yeah. Which is hard. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. He, I think, had to play straight man to every character on that show, which, you know, you, you look at the dynamic there, and 
would have to kind of reverse. He could play straight man to, uh, well, he, he could actually be the dupe of Ginger. Mm-hmm. Because as smart as he was, he didn't understand women. Yes. You know, when it came to certain things, romance, anything like that, Ginger was a lot smarter than he was. So when it came to any of that, you could see him be, not play dumb, but he could be dumbfounded. And I imagine, especially working with Jim Backus, Alan Hale, and Bob Denver, to play straight man to these people is a very, you were saying it was a very difficult task. I mean, these people, Jim Backus was always ad-libbing. Natalie Schaefer learned how Mm -hmm. to ad-lib from Jim Backus. Mm -hmm. And then just the physical stuff that Bob Denver and Alan Hale would be doing, because they, they were doing like Laurel and Hardy stuff. Uh, can you imagine that you're doing a scene in the morning where you have people who have mastered what Laurel and Hardy did and then to go work off of Natalie Schaefer and Jim Backus, who basically were mastering masters at what Abbott and Costello did, and you know, the, the verbal stuff. In some respect, speaking of verbal stuff, he because he was supposed to play he was supposed to play a brainy guy, the yeah. professor, he would have a lot of. His dialogue would be a lot of you know technical gobbledygook, not quite as sophisticated as what uh, Jim Parsons and Maya Bialik have to do every week on Big Bang Theory, but along the same line. Oh, oh I would Easily. say, yeah. Precurs- well, keep in mind what science was. Yeah. If you look at science between the professor on Gilligan's Island and the big... Can you imagine that science as we know it milestones, breakthroughs, discoveries, probably have had more developments in that period between those two shows than the period before The Professor to the beginning of what we know as science. I'm not exaggerating. In The Professor's world of science, man had not made it to the moon yet. Man was still orbiting the Earth. Exactly. The DNA was three letters in a textbook. So, you know, for, for, for its time... He was very much, I would say, on the cutting it, but also explaining things uh, in a way to everybody else that the audience was in on it. And I know he got tired of, in fact, at one point he admits this. I don't know whether he admitted it in the book that Steve Cox worked with him on, but I know that in one of the interviews he did in the at the time the book first came out, he admitted he got tired of people asking him if the professor was so smart, why couldn't he figure out a way to get them (laughs) off the island? But my answer to that question is, if he could figure out a way to get them off the island, that's the end of the the show. show. Yeah. You know, it's one of those... I mean, it's one of those those willful suspension of disbelief that, you know, yes, logically you can think about it, but in the logic of the show, you can't think about it. And it's not like he didn't try. Yeah. yeah. Over the well, series of the show, how many times did oh, he attempt to he get fi- them off the fixed, island? He fixed the radio God knows however many times, but Gilligan kept screwing it up for him. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things you, you have to just accept that is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, how many episodes did we see where they were all the way ready to get off the island and Gilligan screws it up in the epilogue, mm-hmm. you know, which must have been, uh, you know, when you're editing for syndication, this must have been a nightmare because you're all the way through the fourth act or the third act in a, in a half-hour sitcom, and it's still 
you still have optimism. And then the epilogue comes in, and Gilligan has to ruin it in the epilogue. <laughs> I was just watching the one with the uh, Buck Rogers jetpack. Mm-hmm. Everything's going great until the very last shot before they go to the credits. It's in the last three seconds, that's when Gilligan screws it up. And for him to, you know, the professor has to speak, and I've, I've read these things, you know, in interviews and stuff. Everything in his world is plausible. Yes. The science is plausible. In his world, you know, an acid still has to neutralize a base. Mm. E, e still equals MC square. So within his jargon, his speak, everything has to be in a realistic. So it's not only spe- spewing this stuff, he still has to have it right. Uh, and you know, it has to make sense it has to, to make him sense. as and, well as the audience. And there was this, uh, I guess you call it a social experiment uh, with uh, a science class. They did take all the science lessons that the professor was teaching the castaways, how to recharge a battery, mm-hmm. stirring the salt water, uh, all these things. And they showed the bits from the episodes to one set of students and then they had a real science teacher teach the same lessons. And then at the end, when they were tested on everything, the students that just watched the segments that they cut from the Gilligan's Islands episode featuring the professor were much better knowing how these things work than the one taught by a real science well, professor. Well, because you, you, have, you have a hands-on audiovisual lab yeah. right in front of you. That's entertaining. That, that is entertaining. So, which goes back to a point that we've all discussed many, many times, uh, which is part of the wonder of Gilligan's Island, especially when we talk about it now and look back at the critical reaction of the show when it originally aired in 1964, 65, 66. It was a much smarter show than people realize. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. And while it um, while it aimed to entertain first, and people think of the slapstick and stuff like that, the the Phil Silvers, the parody of Hamlet. Yes, um, there there there's a lot. The episodes were a lot wittier than people realize. Yeah, a lot of people just looked at the show at face value, but when you look beyond that, these shows are so rich. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sherwood Schwartz was. You know, when he tried to sell the show, he had so much trouble because he used the word microcosm mm-hmm. to network executives who had no idea what that word meant. His concept of the show was basically what we know as Survivor today, yeah. which Mark Burnett has been taking to the bank every for the last 15 years. You have, but you also, you know, in, in, in scripted stuff, you see, you definitely see the professor's influence on MacGyver. Yes. You definitely mm-hmm. see... Uh, the whole show's influence on Lost. Mm-hmm. You definitely see Mr. Wizard owes a great deal to Mythbusters. That's right. But I think he was the original. He was the original MacGyver. He was, yeah. <laughs> Except he used coconuts yeah. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but yeah, you look at that. You had seven people. Gilligan represents the working class guy. Uh, the Skipper represents, and I'm going off of the theme song so I get all the cast mm-hmm. members. So, so the Skipper represents the, the military guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you had the industrialist, the millionaire. You had his wife, the socialite, mm-hmm. right? So you can't just lump the Hells as one unit right. th- separately. They, they were two units. Yeah, mm-hmm. two un- okay, then you had the celebrity, which was not in the uh, pilot. You, yes. you had you know, somebody that represented that part of the culture. You had the uh, intellectual. 
Right. And then you had Marianne, Middle America. Middle America, the girl farm girl. Door. So she could represent the girl next door. She could represent basically farming, you yes. know, mm-hmm. agriculture. The heartland. Heartland. Yeah. So, you know. And still look good in shorts. And still look good. <laughs> so, you know, in many ways, Mary Ann represented, you know, several different facets yeah. of our society. And the idea that you had all of these people that had to survive by working together in one cohesive unit and become a a family in many respects and yeah okay and can we flip this played by seven actors who were competent talented had well-developed characters which is still why we're talking about this show today i would imagine you know tying it back to russell johnson because one of the other things that a lot of us think of when we think of gilligan's island is that i don't remember if they did this in the first season i know they did this a lot starting in the second season and and continuing in the third they would do dream sequences Mm -hmm. and i would imagine that the actors as a whole and russell johnson in particular would have liked particularly liked it when they did dream sequences because it gave you a chance to play someone other than the professor. Yeah, I heard Don Wells said they loved it. Uh, ironically, Don Wells' favorite episode is the one where she gets hit on the head and thinks she's ginger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they got to do the co- they got to you know leave the characters, do the costuming, all of that. A few weeks ago, MeTV showed the one where Gilligan thinks it was bit by a vampire bat and he had yeah. a dream. It's where they managed to meld Count Dracula and Batman in the same yeah in the and and, and even a little bit of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde in the same which show. they also did a Doctor Jekyll and yeah. Mister Hyde but they got a little Sherlock Holmes in and there that's, that's one they, they, they got Sherlock yes, Holmes in there and, yeah, and then they did the other one the Doctor Jekyll one uh, where they added in Mary Poppins mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> Eliza Doolittle and yeah so they they were able to play with the genres they, there was a pirate one. Uh, the one with the treasure chest. Uh, there was they did western. Uh, the one with the um, what was no they did two western themes. One was the uh, the homing pigeon that couldn't fly that they were trying to nurse or, or was a it was some bird, and so they had a whole episode where they you know Gilligan's the marshal protecting mm-hmm. the bird, and then the other one was the uh, sweepstakes ticket where Jim Back is in the dream as a prospector. And uh, the professor, or, or Russell Johnson's the assayer, who gives him a slip of paper that proves that he has this claim. And so he's dealing with all, and they're all playing, you know, very different characters. Yeah. And the secret agent one, another one. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in some of the episodes, the actors, they're heavily made up. They're almost unrecognizable. In the vampire dream sequence, Don Wells, I think she plays the chamber girl and she's all grayed up and you yeah. can't and it's like i forget I, at first i thought it was natalie schaefer you know? yeah uh, and then the one where russell plays the uh, prospector yes I, I can see that now yeah. and he's well, one jim mackis plays a prospector there's one where russell johnson they did the the jack and the beanstalk one with the oranges yes the goose that laid the golden arch and uh he and team louise are like this the this old man and old woman in the tower and uh yeah yeah she ginger uh Tina Louise with like practically no makeup on. Yeah, and at least, that, but, made, you know, made, at least made to look like she has. But no makeup you know, on. Uh, Gilligan kisses her and she turns into a princess. Yes. And then uh, Don Wells kisses the old man and nothing happens. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's just it's just the sense I got is that by the end of his life, you know, he had Russell Johnson had kind of come to grips with the role and his participation in the series and 
at least appreciated the fact that you know people may not have recognized his name, but they knew he was the professor, and he knew that he was part of something that, con- that still continues to entertain people 50 years after the fact. Yeah, Gilligan would be 50 years Gilligan, old this Gilligan year. Gilligan will be 50 in January. Wow. And September. September. Yeah. yeah there's a, there's, this is a, a year for 50th anniversaries, yes. by the way. Yeah. And, yeah, so Gilligan will be – yeah, I mean, so we've had 50 years uh, of television. Uh, so he's been on television for a majority of the existence of the medium as we know it. And uh, as far as, you know, baby boomers are concerned. So, I mean, that that's an incredible legacy. But, you know, the the Twilight Zones and, and all the other stuff that he's done. I mean, nobody ever questioned his skills, his talents. Uh, he, yeah, he was just consummate professional. Yeah, in fact, I think we were watching back there, like in the past two or three months, and I commented... Sometimes I forget what a wonderful actor he is at the time. I mean, really, just amazing. And what actor, I don't know, what actor wouldn't like to be associated with a role on a show? I mean, even The Professor, I'm glad he embraced it. And uh, we're, we're glad he embraced it. You're listening to an encore presentation of This Week in TV History that originally was recorded January 16th, 2014, a day that saw the passing of two television icons, Russell Johnson and Dave Madden. Take a quick time out. We'll play more of our conversation with Tony and Donna. We come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.